Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. I want you to know I gave Pastor Phelps some choices of uh, different passages or topics and so forth, and uh, he was okay with Romans 14, uh, but I am aware that there are differences among some of God's people, even in the interpretation of uh, oh, of any passage, but this one in, in particular. But uh, what he says, though, is true. For as many years as we've known each other, as many topics as we have discussed, uh, well, there's just something about seeing God's word from the, about the same perspective that is really encouraging. It's also really encouraging as a preacher to be Uh, in front of people who are obviously used to drinking at the fountain and getting the nourishment that they need for the coming week. I had to wonder, you know, we're calling this Bible Conference Sunday. And I know the truth. It's Bible Conference Sunday every single Sunday. Uh, It's always God's Word at the center. This isn't uh, an aberration this is the pattern. This is the pattern that God set for us. Of course, His Word is at the center. When it's not, God's people stray from the path. We need to keep it as the center, and it's not enough just to have a pastor that preaches it, but you need it in the center of your life. All this coming week, every day, requires its own nourishment from God's Word, and you're responsible for that, each one of us as an individual, to be uh, feeding at the, at the uh, Word of God. This last half of the book of, uh, of our Romans chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 13 tonight. So, uh, once again, I invite you to open your Bible there. We have three daughters. They are all now uh, grown and married and all have children, and uh, we are so blessed that they all live in our area uh, down in uh, South Carolina. Uh, We just delight to uh, have time with each of them and the grandchildren. Uh, We had some uh, uh, amazing experiences as a family as they were growing up as well. Uh, the three girls were all just uh, about two years apart. One of those memorable occasions was a family vacation when we spent uh, one day at an amusement park. We were visiting with some family in another state, and there was an amusement park nearby, so the family member brought us all there. And uh, we had a really good day together, and uh, one of the events, one of the rides, they aren't events, they're rides that uh, repeat themselves over and over all through the day, but we, we saw this boat. It's like, I think it was styled as a pirate's boat, and it simply went back and forth like a pendulum, and uh, you know, right now I have to wonder, how did that seem like a good idea? <laughs> but it, it did. And all right, we're all going to do this, and we're going to do it together. We're doing everything together that day. 
And so we got in line. It was a long line. It was summertime, a lot of people there. And as we were uh, in line, we had lots of time to watch this thing go back and forth with different groups of people. And we could, when we got close enough, we could see this thing actually went a little bit beyond vertical. These people were about upside down, and then it went back the other way. And about then, I felt a little tug on my sleeve, and one of the girls said, Daddy, I don't think it's safe. So I, I gave her some fatherly assurances, thinking, well, she'll be fine. But she wasn't fine. Uh, she, she tugged again and said, Daddy, I don't think I can do that. And I said, look, I'm not going to say her name. Things get back, you know. Um, I I said, look, all those people, and you remember the ones in the previous boatload, and there's another boatload in front of us? You're going to get to see. Nobody's falling out. I don't think I can do it. And I thought, well, if we get closer. Well, the pressure was on. We finally got up, so it was our turn and there was no turning back. There's no way out. Everybody's jammed behind us, literally hundreds of people, all watching uh, uh, and hoping for us to move forward so they can have their, uh, get closer in line. We had been there about 45 minutes. I could go on. There were lots of reasons why we ought to get on that boat. But when she finally... I looked at her, and she was just really nervous about it. I don't think I can do it. We had a decision to make as a family, a decision as to whether or not we were going to do what we were sure was okay to do. We had thought about it, and we we were ready. But one of us was not ready. One of us was not sure. In fact, she was scared. We were facing, and we didn't realize it at the time, but we were facing a spiritual crisis, a spiritual crisis that repeats itself over and over in the relationships among God's people, facing a variety of circumstances and decisions and uh, challenges in life as we strive to live for the Lord together. And here's what happens to us. We can get a single-minded focus on what we ought to do, what we can do. So single-minded because we are focused on what, not just what would please me, but we've even taken into account, let's say, the first half of Romans 14, And we've even checked with the Lord on a particular activity. I want us to get beyond the boat ride here. We're we're into actual decisions about, uh, about personal activity and personal standards. And there's somebody in the church family that's uncomfortable with this. And they're standing right next to you. And they're concerned about participating in, in some endeavor that you're planning to do. The problem is you can be so single-minded on what is okay for you, 
And what would actually be okay with the Lord for you to do, that you're not taking into account that you're not the only one here. That there are some other people. And the advance now in Romans 14, as he, he, he we, we can, uh, uh, God assumes, I think, that as we make our way through a portion of his word that we're saying, yes, Lord, I'm going to do that part. I, I am going to, uh, I'm going to ask you about this activity. I'm going to ask you about this particular standard. And, 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 the, and the answer comes back, it's okay. Yes, this is a good thing for you. But now he's going to add one more layer of responsibility. And that is you've also got to have an eye out for those around you. Now, we are supposed to be okay, we found out in the first few verses of Romans 14. We are supposed to be okay with other people being different from us, which also means they are supposed to be okay with us being different from them. So what's the problem? The problem is that there are some among God's people that are vulnerable that is, as they check with the Lord, they're getting uh, either an unclear answer or they're getting, a, no, no, actually, this is not for you. And so let's just say they're unsure. Let's say it's in the unclear category. And that person is vulnerable because they're not getting that same approval from the Lord that you are. It's not God's plan for them. And you are getting a positive approval. Yes, I can do this, and it's okay for me. But if you do, while this person is watching, there's a danger that they might follow you. Oh, if he's doing it, well... Maybe my misgivings are unfounded. Maybe I should just go ahead. And inadvertently, you could be responsible for leading a fellow believer into destruction. That's exactly the scenario that Paul paints for us in this last section of Romans 14. The world would say, don't worry about it. You just do what you want to do. You don't have to worry about anybody else. But God says, no, actually, this is a family. You have a responsibility here. Now, not every person who is different from you is vulnerable, but there may be some who are. The word of caution here in this passage is to get your priorities right. The highest priority is the souls of people. First, that they know Christ as Savior. But then second, even among God's people, that they successfully complete their course in living for the Lord and serving Him. And he gives all of us a shared responsibility, not just to lead, them, lead others to Christ, but also to help each other successfully maneuver through all the challenges 
of, of this world. Here's where, Christ, where, where Paul sets it all in the right priority as he, as he reminds us in this passage. Christ died to save people. Not just so they'll receive him as Savior, but to save them ultimately, all the way successfully making it to glory. And he expects you to be a part of that. Not just to tolerate other people, not just to accept their differences, but to make sure that where you are convinced it's okay, you are not inadvertently misleading somebody else. Well, let's get started in this passage. In uh, verse 13, Paul points out to begin that there are some people who are at risk, some people among us. Uh, verse 13, let us not, therefore, judge one another anymore. You, you see what that is? That's, that's the conclusion to the previous verses. All right, God says to stop being critical of one another. All right, we're not going to do that. Let us not do that. Good, we're all together on that. But now we want to replace that with something better. But judge this rather, that is decide this, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. That is the additional responsibility now that Paul states is you must guard your influence on others. Your choices might be harmful for someone else. Uh, and, and not just, uh, well, the first word here, stumble. Uh, let us judge this. Let us decide this matter, I'm no longer going to be a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in my, that I'll put in my brother's way. The stumbling block sounds like, well, there's just something in the way, and that person kind of stumbles, and maybe they'll catch themselves and be okay. It's a stumbling block might be nothing more than a nuisance. What he says is, don't you be that stumbling block because it may be a whole lot worse than that. This stumbling block may actually cause the person to trip and fall and maybe fall off the path so that now they're actually not living for the Lord. They're, they've fallen into sin. The next word is even clearer. He describes that as an occasion to fall. That's, that's a word that, it's actually a very colorful word that describes, that, that is translated this way, that describes a trap, a trap that is set to catch an animal, like a bird or, or, or a small animal, a rabbit. And it's designed to catch that bird or rabbit, not just to now to have a pet. It's designed to catch that bird or whatever the animal is and that's going to be the end of that animal. Don't you be a death trap to a fellow believer. Paul is using strong words here that indicate that there could be some serious damage done. Your choice could be harmful for somebody else. 
Verse 14, Paul says, I know and am persuaded, he's going to refer back to one of his examples, that there's nothing unclean of itself. There's no food that by itself is uh, sinful. Uh, we, the Bible tells us that God is the giver of every good thing, and so food is, all, is acceptable. There's nothing unclean of itself, but here's the difference. To him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Somebody is mistaken and thinks that that particular food item, let's say a, a, a ham, uh, that, that's, that's just sinful. Okay, it's, the reality is, Paul says, I, I am persuaded it's not. It's really okay. But if a person thinks it might be, and he goes ahead and eats that ham anyway, he has just committed sin, real sin. And if you're the one that put the ham on the plate in front of him knowing he thinks it might be wrong, you're the stumbling block. You have become a death trap. Paul says, you've got to make an important decision here. Decide, I'm not going to do that. Guard your influence on others. Some things may actually be good and at the same time be sinful for somebody else. Now, for you to guard your influence means you have to sense the weaknesses of other people. Verse 15, uh, to realize you could cause damage, he says, if your brother be grieved with your meat, and that is you find out about it, you, you realize somehow that for you to make this choice, that person is not just, you know, we use the word offended. I don't think you ought to do that. That's not what this is talking about. When he says your brother may be grieved, it's the grief of being misled into something that this person shouldn't do. Something that in his estimation is actually sinful. And if you do that, Paul says, now walkest thou not charitably. Where's your love for that brother or sister? Where's your heart of compassion that says, I've got a brother or sister and this person is vulnerable and I don't care. I'm going to eat that ham myself right in front of him anyway. Paul says, where's the love? You're just loving yourself. Destroy not him with thy meat. There's another very strong word. Destroy not him with your meat for whom Christ died. There's Paul, Paul has put the heart of this passage into just a few words. Christ died for that person. And you don't care that you can do damage to his soul, his relationship with Christ, his fellowship with the Lord? You could do serious damage. 
Furthermore, he suggests in verse 16, you could actually be causing blasphemy against the Lord himself. Let then, he says in verse 16, let not your good, what you know to be okay, don't let your good be evil spoken of. Result in slander against the Lord, against the gospel. That's what's at stake. The world finds out that there's no more concern among God's people than one will let somebody else suffer spiritual damage. What's the world going to conclude from that? They don't really care about each other. See, that's what Paul says has to stop. Pastor Ben this morning, I think it was uh, in the Sunday school time, uh, the beginning, uh, mentioned that he had had, I think he calculated, three and a half classes in seminary that I taught. And I thought, three and a half. What did he do, drop out? I didn't remember him dropping out of a class. But no, no, then he explained, no, it was, uh, it was uh, a half of a semester. Uh, there was one... Uh, there's one course where I taught one half of the semester and Dr. Bruce McAllister taught the other half. And that, it was a, a ministerial preparation type of a course. And so I had, uh, I had a, a section, uh, like a seven or eight week period, where I was teaching on the subject of worship. And I was using a verse that, where God says, uh, this is in connection with the Ten Commandments in uh, Exodus 20, where it says, you shall not bow down before a graven image. Don't worship me in the form of a graven image. And one of the, the first years I taught that course, it, this really took me by surprise, but a, a student raised his hand and he said, well, Aren't we violating that command when we look at a piece of art that is representing Jesus? And my, my initial response was to defend uh, the other position. I said, oh, no, 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 there's no idolatry there. We're not worshiping that image. And, and this student was really struggling to see the difference. I thought about that afterward. And there were some other students that looked like, wow, they were kind of bothered by that a little bit as well. And, and then I felt, I felt bad. I thought, well, what if that's how God has directed them? And so they're not going to go into an art gallery. And why would God do that? Well, maybe he's got some plan for them and he, he wants them to be distinct from that in some way in order to minister to a different group of people. I don't know. I don't know what God's doing here and uh, having this student be, uh, be concerned about that, but maybe I shouldn't be trying to convince him. Maybe I need to go careful here in my defense of my position maybe I could be guilty of leading him astray. If he shouldn't do it, and I was sure it's okay, I, I, was, I could have said like Paul did, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus, this is no idolatry. 
But if he's not so sure, I shouldn't be guilty of trying to convince him to go ahead and do it anyway. You see, it's possible that there are people around us that are, in fact, vulnerable in areas where we just don't have any question. You find out they're vulnerable, now you take responsibility. You decide this, Paul says. I am not going to be guilty of leading a brother to do something that he's not sure is okay. There may be a need to, uh, uh, to confess to the Lord that, you know, I don't think I was as, as sensitive to somebody else's sensitivity as I should have been. There may be a need to change some behavior when, when you're in company with someone else. Verses 17 to 19, Paul goes on to, to show that, that there are higher priorities than even doing what you are sure God says is all right for you. Let's say you go through the routine. All right, I'm not going to be critical of other people. I am checking with the Lord on what he wants to be a part of my life. And if I get the green light on something, then don't I have a responsibility to do that thing? And now here we are finding out, well, no, there's a place to put the brakes even on that. And that is when you're in the company of somebody who is vulnerable. And that's where we need to realize in verses 17 to 19 that it's God's kingdom that really counts here people in God's kingdom. There's the real value. So discern the true realities. Verse 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. You imagine looking back once you are in heaven, you imagine you're going to be thinking about the, the ham that you ate one day back in 2023. Man, that was a good meal. Or do you think maybe at that point our perspective is going to rise to, you know, I just praise God for the righteousness of Christ and for the grace that he gave on that occasion to actually make the right decision and be sensitive to the needs of a Christian brother or sister. The peace that comes from knowing you've done the loving thing and the joy in the Holy Spirit for he that in these things serveth Christ. <laughs> There's another perspective. You're serving Christ when you take into account the sensitivities of those that are around you. Christ died for these people. 
I need to treat them with care. I need to treat them with love. I need to serve Christ as opposed to serving myself. He that in in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God. that's That's quite an understatement. Acceptable to God and also approved of men. Even people can see that's the right way to act. So you focus on the Spirit's goals in verse 17 and on the work of the Savior serving him in verse 18, pleasing God. The, the approval of men actually has the idea of being uh, tested by people. They're watching. They're looking at you. And if you do the right thing, that actually becomes attractive to them. And they get the, a good example that they can follow as well. So discern these true realities. And in verse 19, another call to advance the right priorities. Let us, therefore, let's draw a conclusion from all of this so far. Let us, therefore, follow after, pursue the things which make for peace And here's Paul who's going to advance the thought another step. And things wherewith one may edify one another. This is now the exact opposite of doing damage, of misleading somebody, of making them possibly to fall into the ditch. Rather than that, to, to make a choice that strengthens that person, enables them to walk with the Lord and and more uh, closeness and greater fellowship. This helps unify the church family, the things that make for peace. Unify the church family, and also it edifies, it builds up. You can build up a fellow believer by loving that believer enough to Live your life, order your life in such a way as to never mislead him. I know one woman who, uh, whose mother was convinced, she was a believer, but she was convinced there is not a time of day, there's not a place you could go where it's an ap- appropriate for a woman to wear slacks. And for her, it was in your own home. You should never do it. Well, this, her daughter did not share her standards. And in her home, she felt free to wear what she thought was appropriate. But when she went to visit with her mother, who happened to live some distance away, I said, well, how do you handle that? I mean, you're going to be an encouragement to your mother, right? Oh, yes, and, and uh, I, I don't ever step into her home without having a skirt on. I will not offend my mother. I will not mislead her. I will not do something in her home that violates her conscience. I thought, well, that is what Paul's talking about. A sensitivity to someone else who is vulnerable. 
We're not to be asking, well, here's this activity, wearing, a, wearing pants for a woman. The question isn't, what's wrong with that? The question is, what would best please the Lord? And we have to add this extra layer on to that question now and say, what would please the Lord and also enable and strengthen and encourage and unify my Christian brother or sister. So if the goal is to unify and edify our church, what can I do to help achieve that? That would be a good question too. Paul closes then in verses 20 to 23, telling us, well, your standards, your personal uh, uh, decisions that's a choice you have to make. You aren't locked into that. God says this is okay. It doesn't mean you must. You maintain some choices here. And uh, self-discipline when in sensitive company would be what pleases God most. And so we have another exhortation in verse 20. For meat, destroy not the work of God. <laughs> Leave it to Paul to put it in the simplest terms. For the sake of you eating what you want, are you willing to destroy God's work? Well, no, if you're going to put it like that. Okay, well, he did put it like that. Now we can see the priorities more clearly. So protect the weak from sin. Don't destroy them just because you have a clearer perspective. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man that eateth with offense. Paul has just added something else new here. Yes, for somebody who thinks it's wrong to eat meat, and they go ahead and do it anyway, eating meat is not sinful, but for him it is. But now the additional thought is if you know that that's sinful for him, which means that if you eat that meat, he might be led astray, now what is started out as good is not only sinful for him, now it becomes sinful for you. Isn't that what Paul just said? All things indeed are pure, but it is evil. Evil for that man who eateth with offense. You eat and you offend somebody else, causing them to stumble. Now that's evil for you. You're in danger. So avoid the sin of ruining a soul, leading them to violate their conscience. That would be a sinful choice for you. And on the other hand, verse 21, pursue the good by denying yourself. I don't want to be guilty of that evil in verse 20. Well, here's the other alternative. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. 
Now, I feel the need to, to say again in verse 21, something I said earlier and uh, uh, earlier uh, this, uh, today, this morning, that the drinking of wine here was actually good in the way that they were supposed to do it. That is, appropriate amount of water so that uh, uh, intoxication would not take place. That was okay. And that's what, those are the contexts in which God commends wine. But even in that circumstance, even when the wine was safely diluted, if drinking that is going to cause a brother to stumble, then I'm not going to do it in his presence. I am not going to mislead him. I will pursue the good by denying myself. Satisfy yourself at the loss of a brother, evil. Deny yourself in order to edify and strengthen him, that's good. Paul says, choose the good. Pursue the good. Protect the weak from sin. Take that responsibility. But also in verses 22 to 23, protect yourself from sin. Verse 22, practice your freedom with discretion. Hast thou faith? That is, are you sure this uh, standard is okay between you and God? Have it to yourself before God. That is, exercise it with discretion. Make sure you're not leading somebody else astray because happy or blessed is he that condemneth not himself in that which he alloweth. How would you condemn yourself? By pleasing yourself, by pursuing that thing at the expense of the soul of another person. So practice your freedom with discretion. No flaunting. Keep in mind, God sees what company you're in and what influence you might be having. Practice your freedom with discretion and limit your practice to the things that you are certain about. Limit your practice to certainties. This is a broad-ranging principle in verse 23 that applies in a lot of different categories Paul says in verse 23, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat. (laughs) Once again, Paul is using strong language here. He that doubteth. I'm just not sure. I actually think this is okay, but I'm not really sure. But I'm going to do it anyway because I'm pretty sure. Paul says, a person that proceeds with that level of uncertainty is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. Faith here would be 100% sure that this is good. 95% sure? No. That's not good enough. 
For whatsoever is not of faith, if you aren't convinced 100%, if it's not of faith, it's sinful. That's a very high standard that God sets. And here he's not talking about somebody else. He's talking about your choices. 100% certainty? Wow, that is pretty high. There are some Old Testament passages that prohibit God's people from marking their body. And it's clear enough, uh, I don't think there's any dispute, that he's talking about things that would correspond to what we today call tattoos. And so with those verses in the Old Testament, and the, and the principle there uh, was that uh, don't mark your body because you were made in the image of God. Don't mark up God's image. It would be like having a picture of, uh, guys, uh, having a picture of your wife at your desk, and, and uh, one day you think, yeah, I wonder what she'd look like with a mustache. Okay, and uh, so you put, ah, it's kind of funny, and you forget to erase it, and she comes in and sees it. What's she going to think? Marking up my image? What does that say about your attitude toward me? That seems to be behind God saying, don't mark up this image that I made. This is the way I wanted it to be. Don't deface it. Now, there are many believers in our day that have looked at that prohibition, and then they look at the world, and they see tattoos everywhere, and think, you know what? I think maybe that was a prohibition for the people of Israel, and it's actually okay for us now. You see, this would be like, back then, they couldn't eat bacon. But now it's okay. Back then, they couldn't get a tattoo, but that was just for them, so we can. All right? So on that basis, tattoos start showing up among believers. Now, to me, this makes no sense anyway. I mean, I've never been tempted to get a tattoo, so it's never been that kind of a Oh, boy, I wonder if I ought to do that. No. <laughs> we're not going there, are we, brother? No, no. I, I th I'm pretty sure this is somewhere where we're in agreement. But I'm concerned about the believers who are getting tattoos, and I wonder, how can you be sure? I mean, maybe it was only for Israel, but... It's not a maybe when it comes to the dietary restrictions because we have Mark 7 and we have Acts chapter 10 where Christ in the first passage and God himself to Peter in the second passage say, don't call unclean what I have called clean. Uh, Christ uh, made a statement about, about food and Mark gives us his editorial comment inspired by the Holy Spirit he concludes, thus he made all foods clean. 
we have a New Testament statement that that no longer applies to us. But where is that about tattoos in the New Testament? I think the best anybody could come up with is, well, I, I'm pretty sure this is okay. But if you're not 100% sure, verse 23 says that's sin. Now, I understand there are people that no doubt got tattoos when before they were saved. So I'm not looking around here uh, judging anybody. Uh, I, we have people in our church that have tattoos carried over from a previous uh, spiritual condition. Okay, God forgives. Everything's okay. That's fine. But here's a category where I think people need to look at Romans 14 a little more carefully. I also have no temptation to smoke marijuana or to chew it or to eat it in a brownie. Okay, it's not an issue for me. I'm not going there. But there are a lot of believers who are. Uh, some, somebody asked me about that uh, in, in our church, wanted to know how, uh, what answer to give to their young person uh, asking about this. And I, I said, well, first of all, in South Carolina, it's still illegal. And he said, of course, it's out right there. Okay, but, you know, South Carolina, I, I'm hoping we'll be the, the last one, but I don't have any hope that we will never legalize it. hope it takes a long, long time. But even there, God's people have a decision to make. Are you really sure that smoking or eating something that alters your mind, even if temporarily that that could be a thing that pleases God? Can you be sure about that? I don't see how. God's standard is, I believe it. I am certain. That has to be the standard that God's people adopt because anything less than that is sin. Well, I told you, our family had a choice to make that day at the amusement park. And these were not the best of conditions. Okay? Hot, sunny, pressure, people around us, personal desire. But we look back on that event as a family, as a marker. A marker in which we walked, we had to do this, it was the only path forward, we had to walk onto the boat, all these people behind us, and we kept on walking because that was the exit. One of us was not comfortable. All of us walked through. What that tells us as a family, and, and it was, I had to tell you, it was close. I mean, this was not a slam dunk. I remember myself feeling a little miffed as we walked away. You know, I kind of wanted to have this back and forth thing. Uh, okay. uh, 
looking back, I don't even have to wait till eternity to uh, reassess this one. I can look back now and say, really? This was going to be fun? I, I don't get it. Okay? I, I'm not tempted to go back to that amusement park. Uh, no boats in my future. But we can look back on that and, and note a spiritual victory that God won. It was by his grace that our family together made the decision that our love for this one member was strong enough for us all to say we are not going to do it. Let's go on to something else where we can all be in agreement. That's the kind of love for one another where Paul asked that question earlier in the passage, boy, if you behave this way, where's the love? We need to see the love of Christ for one another. The world needs to see the love of Christ for one another. That's an attractive feature that the world doesn't see anywhere else. They sure doesn't see it among themselves. Enough love to say no to self and thus serve Christ. He can give the grace that we need to make those kinds of choices. And that's the grace we have to ask him for tonight. As we close our study of Romans 14, Would you ask Christ, ask him specifically. Here's a specific request. Lord, would you help me love your people that much? Help me love them the way you love them, even to the point, and I I hesitate to compare, even to the point of self-sacrifice, what Christ really sacrificed himself, what we would give up, it's nothing. Lord, help me to see it as nothing. Help me to see the work of Christ as everything. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.